It's the JT and Looney Podcast. Episode 45. I just watched the Golden Knights win in overtime, which oh, is nice. really big. Just this playoff hockey is fantastic. It Why? Really, I mean, because it's so exciting. It's so competitive. It's in a bubble. They're in Edmonton. The East is in Toronto. They go to overtime. They don't have their families, their fans, and there's no asterisks. They're playing for the cup. It's pure, hardcore sports. There's no, oh, the Cardinals can't play for two weeks. They've only played five games. These guys chug along. They play their ass off. They grow beards. They die for pucks. They score in overtime. They hug each other. And, and they're competing for the greatest trophy in the history of all the sports, the Stanley Cup. It's well, is it the, the greatest most. trophy or the most difficult trophy to obtain? It's a, I know because people have called it both both of those things. I'd go both. Yeah, it's the best trophy, I believe. You know, the Masters doesn't have a trophy. They have the green jacket. They have a trophy <laughs> right. that looks like, you know, Butler Cabin. And, you know, you look at some of the trophies in sports, but the Stanley Cup just to have your name on that cup for your life, your name on it with the team you play, you know, your name doesn't go on the World Series trophy your right. team does. The Larry O'Brien trophy, you don't get your name on it. It's just special. And, you know, living in Vegas, this Golden Knight thing has been incredible because it's, you know, the entertainment capital of the world. It's a new arena. It's an expansion team that went to the cup and they're really loaded and good and can go to the cup again. And, so and oddly, you live in a city where everyone, just like LA, everyone's an immigrant. And what I mean is from either Pennsylvania or Mexico and everywhere else in Nevada. But people in Vegas seem to love Vegas and they embrace that team. And you almost won a Stanley Cup the first year and you sold out every game. Yeah. And they're the favorite, the Vegas odds to win the cup this year. So they're a really good team. But look, we know that there's only so many hockey fans when i'm on the radio at night on mad dog i can't open up the phones to hockey no. i can't and, and when we started together and i started in radio 24 years ago i would i would go on the radio at night nervous probably the i, I don't share this often the most nervous i ever was early in my career was hockey because I grew up with hockey with the Islanders, but being syndicated in Detroit and Boston in hockey towns, you were always scared of that caller who's going to ask you about Draper or Helios <laughs> or Law or some player, Danico. And you, you had to know at least, you had to have an idea who that right. guy played for. <laughs> now, sports talk radio hosts need a cup of cocoa and these fake three hour meetings and they won't take hockey. Do you know that there oh, are. You have to say outrageous things you don't have to know anything yeah oh there yeah. there are if you look on not the mount rushmore if you look on the top five sports radio shows in america and you know who they are the top okay. five five out of those five wouldn't take a hockey call under any circumstance other than general hey what do you think of the bubble what do you right. think of covid and it's a shame because the sport needs the help of sports radio and television. And when ESPN lost the hockey deal or hockey lost the ESPN deal, it went on NHL network versus, which we often talk about now, NBC. <laughs> now hockey is back and it's got big momentum. There's expansion in Seattle. You got Philadelphia, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Vegas, Chicago, Los Angeles, not this time around, but major markets and fans that are just hungry for sports, so it's going to work this time. Great talk radio, whether it's sports talk or not, is about the host. When you just spent 10 minutes there talking about hockey, it was interesting. What a lot of hosts don't get, 
being passionate, entertaining, relevant, having a personality are more important than knowing how to say Patrick Waugh or, or who the goalie is for one team or another. The way you just went off on that is why, you know, a lot of times you talked about the Yankees and Tiger Woods as two defaults as long as I've been on the air with you. And I thought neither one was a problem ever because the passion that you bring you can't fake passion you love golf you love talking about tiger he, he was no, your number two default behind the yankees and i would say normally talking about golf is narrow casting just the yankees talking about the yankees too much is narrow casting or talking about hockey except when you're talking about it a lot of times what up-and-coming hosts don't realize is giving your opinion, going to games, being passionate for the, talking about the teams that you grew up with is more compelling. You know, doing the bigger parts of your personality and your wheelhouse is more compelling than talking about the cap below the cap. Is that too much? Are they spending too much? Let's get a capologist on. And people in the cars don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Well, hockey's really tough because if you don't concentrate on it or watch it you cannot talk about it on any level so that's what's really interesting about hockey you can't talk about it or get behind a microphone unless you're at least aware of right. the conferences the standing and the rules right. from a two-line right. pass to what right. offsides is same thing icing yeah, yeah. Uh, this, that brings me and as we move to soccer soccer is the biggest sport in the world by far right it's not the biggest sport in the world by a little and there's the nba and lebron no everybody plays soccer from the ivory coast to yeah. japan to brazil all over the world and what happens in america is you know people are starting to catch on to it a little bit more but people don't want to learn about the history of it and when i met my buddy charles who was an english a reformed english soccer hooligan and went on to be a successful real estate commercial broker in san diego he would sing songs to me in the car as we drove on appointments and i'd be like oh what's that tottenham song you're singing about arsenal with all the profanity and he would tell me all about it about hooliganism and soccer and travel and rivalries and it wasn't the sport. It was the stories of the rivalry and the violence and the fights outside the train station that hooked me in. And then I started learning about the sport and I like it more and more. I was in a bar near my house, let's say six months to eight months ago. And I don't know whether the, the, the people running the bar were lying or not, because I don't miss much, uh, whether it's news, weather, sports, or pop culture. I don't miss much, but they were saying there was a new ordinance in effect where you could open bars in L.A. till 4, but you had to close between 4 and 6. And they were going to stay open all night, and there were English guys in there with jerseys they didn't recognize singing songs. It was about midnight. For two hours, they sang songs, and I was riveted. I mean, they, they, they invaded the bar, and then they were going to leave at 4 and then come back at 6 and you know because of the time difference wherever the games were being played. And uh, so I was really pulled in, at least for that moment, the way you were pulled in to watching, what is it, the Premier League you watch? Yeah, the Premier League. What's your team? Uh, Tottenham, Tottenham okay. Spurs. And I just like it. I had a chance to go back with the Raiders and see their stadium when they opened it for an NFL uh, Tottenham opened up their football stadium and they made it an NFL stadium because 
the NFL is doing so well overseas mm -hmm. in England that they built their stadium with NFL locker rooms and specs, and they ended up getting these NFL games with Wembley going forward. But it'll tie right in again. My segues are great so far on this podcast. <laughs> My segues are amazing. It'll tie us into how cocky we are in America. Mm -hmm. We Americans believe that we're better than everybody. We're not. We're not better than most at, at a lot of things. Right. Soccer, understanding that we're, we're worse at COVID. Than Flattening everybody. the curve, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we yep. suck at COVID. So every once in a while, you'll see a sport like hockey. And I always said on the air, our Canadian brothers to the north, we stole right. their sport and we tried to put it in Florida, Atlanta. Arizona, Atlanta, which was stupid. Some of it's working, some of it doesn't. And let understand, hockey fans know more in Canada in general. Soccer fans know more overseas and in Europe. And America, we're great at sports, but we're great at our sports. We think our sports are more important. And you've been around Europe for a long time. If you right. walk the streets of Europe, everybody's not in a cafe or a pub or sitting outside watching an NFL game. Oh, no, no. Way. No way. Matter of fact, the you know, European friends never understand the rules. So they just say, well, they will look like we're doing okay, and then they kicked it away. That's every, every European will ever or say. Or they stopped, or they stopped for a timeout. No, oh. that's not a timeout. That's a huddle. The clock's still going, but we're not doing anything. We're taking a break after every play. I mean, in college, my, my first roommate in college, Yadola Mahmoudzadeh, was from Tehran, Iran. So he uh, – so – Fascinating, you know, fascinating world traveler. He really seemed like this deep intellectual philosopher to me because he was so much older. He was 23, right? <laughs> which seemed old to me because I was 17. And anyway, I, I was teaching him the rules of football, which I always thought was really easy. You just teach him first and 10. You know, it's four chances to get 10 yards and then let all the other rules fall in place. And so he was great at learning it. But it was fa it, what fascinated him too, and people from other cultures is how our ability to make money, how you don't miss a play. You can, and he was fascinated that you never miss a play because television waits <laughs> for uh, for the commercials to be over. And he was just you know, a lot of times Europeans and he and or uh, Asians, people from Iran or Asian, uh, are fascinated by. You know, the fact that we how weak we don't miss a penny, how you don't miss a play in an NFL game, and it's perfectly, perfectly. That's why it's exploded in America since the 1950s till now. Perfect game for television. You don't miss a thing. And don't you think that's how to grow soccer in America? Let them call some timeouts so we can fit some commercials in. No, because we have to play the sport the proper way, the way they oh, are in please. Europe and around the world, or they'll continue to I'm laugh I'm telling at you, us. get rid of the offsides and start calling a few timeouts, and it will succeed in America, and soccer will be bigger than ever because it'll be bigger here. Well, you're right about one thing. You love cherry pickers. You love people that said all the way back, and then they're never offside. You love that in hockey. Oh, yes. yeah. Wayne Gretzky should just sit in front of the net, not have to get the hockey fans. Yes. The same thing with that soccer. That would be my style. Uh, my week was dominated, and I, I just am so happy to see you and hear you on this podcast. Uh, my week was dominated by college football. Yes. And college Difficult. football, which is important to you because you went to Penn State, yeah. and I went to Geneseo State, which didn't have a football team. But college football had to make some tough decisions today, and I think the debate comes, did they make them too early? Could they have gone another month and waited? No, because we suck at COVID. Our numbers aren't getting better. So chancellors and presidents 
told ADs and coaches who are begging to coach and begging for their athletic department to go on. The chancellor and the president said, no way. We've had meeting after meeting with epidemiologists and scientists. We're scientists. We have a medical school here. We're not going to do it in the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the MAC, obviously in the Ivy League. But all of a sudden, as I said, give me credit for this, the South would lead and the South is leading the SEC, the ACC with portions in the South, and especially Notre Dame jumping in. And we're seeing with the Big 12, they want their sport to go on. They do want their sport to go on. Is that leading or failing? Are the people who dare, yeah, is it, are the people who dare not to play football uh, leading or are the people who are playing football leading? And I think in a lot of ways, again, it's a big tease. It's a, you're getting a mini bike for Christmas and then it's Twister and a pair of socks. I think, uh, I, I think they're boon, the SEC is boonswoggling their fans because they don't think they're going to be able to pull it off. Georgia thought they could pull off opening before the rest of the country. And a lot of the states that decided, oh, you know, it's the blue states that are overreacting. Let's just open up. They realized that the, uh, the COVID doesn't have a red or blue. It's not liberal or conservative. This isn't, uh, we, I think we all need to pull together as Americans and try to defeat it. And what's a problem is you can't go on the air. Let me make an analogy. I work. I do uh, news on the weekends at KBC in Los Angeles, and we do it through a, a, a TTWN Total Traffic Weather Network. And when when everybody at LA started staying home in March for twelve weeks, there was no traffic. But th- that's how this company makes money. You throw to traffic. And there was a big email that went out that said, don't celebrate the fact there's no traffic. Uh, talk, you know, so they started finding different ways to say, okay, it's going to take 20 minutes to get from the airport to downtown, etc. Find other ways to say things because that's how we make our money around here. And I think when it comes to sports, I think a lot of sportscasters have been afraid to go on and say uh, on the air and say there's no way we could have college football bring kids in from all over the world to touch the same doorknobs in dorms as football players or be an online university but let the football players play. All the things that go into it. And as you mentioned, chancellors and academic guys, some of them with some of the leaders that we've seen who have science degrees and – have maybe a little resentment for the football team and the jocks who get all the attention and they're the nice boys that have been doing homework all their life and get never get any praise. They have a chance to express that resentment and say, hey, no football. And not because it's personal, but because it's science. And I think that I don't think anybody's going to end up having any football. And I think the SEC is teasing everybody. The reason I disagree with you is it should be easy, easy to start football, NFL and college, because all you have to do is test, test, test and be very safe before the first game. Now, mm-hmm. after the first game, when everybody gets on planes and buses and goes to different cities, Let's see what happens. That's what happens. Yeah. But the first game should be easy to do. Like if Broadway wanted to come back in the month of November and test every Broadway Mm-hmm. And dancer. They could be able to do it and quarantine them. But then after week one, I don't know if they'd be able to keep the show going on because people would intermingle. This conversation has been about a bubble or a soft bubble or no bubble. Well, right. Which is easier for the NBA to do within college football. You can't really do yeah. it. They're supposed to be going to class. It's just much harder to do it with that, that many guys. And I think nobody wants to say 
uh, as I was also getting to, when, when your job is to be a sportscaster on Sirius XM or in Vegas on Raiders Radio, you can't go on the air and say, sports isn't important. You can't lead with that, right? I can doing news and being a guy over here who's now doing news and not doing sports talk. I can say, come on, you know sports isn't important. But you can't go on a sports talk, Sirius XM, Mad Dog Radio, Raiders Radio, or any, no, no matter where one is working. I just I give the example of where you're working and say sports isn't important. But in the big picture, it's not. You can open up the conversation and really listen to people. That's what I've been trying to do mm -hmm. during COVID is just have longer and more in-depth conversation with individuals who are experts or seem to know a lot about it. And when it comes to college football, it's tough because this is a defining moment for everyone to have an opinion. You know, we get paid to have strong opinions, not to be right. I can't right. Pick, pick the winner of the Angels and the Mariners. I can't pick the winner of what's going to happen between Phoenix or Memphis in a basketball game, but I, I can give a strong opinion. And my opinion now is that we know COVID's here. We know it's going to be here for a while, but we got to open up the economy. We got to open up the sports economy and we got to attempt to live with it and to get it and get rid of it and isolate and wash our hands better and wear a mask and get on with our lives. And I understand it's very serious. Lives are going to be lost. Uh, people are going to make mistakes along the way. But I want it to be on record on this podcast. I respect everybody who's canceling football or postponing it, mm -hmm. but I'm siding with the people and the leagues that want to go forward because I'm comfortable with that. And if I'm wrong, a year from now, maybe six months from now, we'll come back on this podcast and say, hey, do you have any regret about what you said since six months ago? And I might say, yeah. I we can all be Dr. Drew when we need to be Dr. <laughs> Drew, right? Who said, oh, my God, I was wrong about COVID. It's much easier to get than get hit by a meteor, which is what he once said. But then as a doctor, he looked at the facts and said, oh, my God, was I wrong about that? And you got to do that. And you're right. And that's what's always been fun about doing the show with you. And that's why I ask you, you know, I filled in on uh, on KRLA, the morning answer, conservative kind of Trumpy station in L.A. And uh, with the wonderful one in the morning, Jennifer Horn, and uh, very Trumpy. And I said, oh, my God, that's everybody I grew up with. I'll have a ball because I can be a blowhard about politics and a lot of my liberal politics. But who says I'm right? That's you know, you got to have a sense of humor about whether it's sports politics uh it doesn't have to be professional wrestling where you hit people over the head that was never our style we hit people over the head with our loud volume but we could turn around and laugh when we were wrong about the yankees or the lakers or anything else i'd like to see college football give it a go because on top of the safety i've interviewed a number of coaches former coaches former players mm -hmm. and most importantly insiders they have business cards that say insiders <laughs> and a lot of them say the same thing and they almost say it the same way that student athletes the football players will be much safer in the sports environment with their team in a team dorm or living together with the coach. Oh, then they wouldn't in a student oh, absolutely. dorm? absolutely. Ah. It's not even debatable. So is this like the analogy where in society, porn stars are a lot safer from venereal diseases because they take blood tests all the time yes. and they t <laughs> than the rest of us who aren't taking blood tests all the time in order to work. Yeah, there's a, how do you like my analogy radio? <laughs> That's exactly what uh, they, they definitely need to do. Take the NBA model and as much as you can and put your guys in a bubble because we need to be entertained. 
Trevor Lawrence is leading the way on this. He doesn't need to. He's going to be the number one pick in the draft no matter what. Mm -hmm. Number one pick, the quarterback from Clemson. So he's trying to put together a coalition, and we want to play. Hashtag we want to play. He doesn't need to play. If he gets injured and he has a career-threatening injury, Tua had one of those injuries, remember. Tua had a massive injury and still got got selected in the top five. So Trevor Lawrence wants to play. Because I think he loves college and he loves the experience. Uh-huh. And Clemson. Matt Leiner was like that. He had Heisman exactly. Trophy, but he still wanted to play. Very similar. Now, if you look at Dabo Sweeney, who makes, I don't know, eight, nine, ten million a year, whatever it is, they believe that they can figure this out. They believe that they can take all of their, yep. even upper class. Football coaches always think they can figure yeah, shit out. You know, the freshmen yep. live in the dorm. The freshman athletes live with the freshman athletes. But mm-hmm. then when you become a junior and a senior, you move off campus in an apartment mm-hmm. or in a house with your offensive lineman, your quarterback, your running back. Well, what would happen is Clemson, Alabama, LSU would find a way to take all of their elite college players and they put them in one dorm or one hotel or one environment. But that would be it. They wouldn't make them be under lock and key for 24 hours. But the odds would go down with being in practice in the weight room and being around trainers and doctors. And then on game day, being under lock and key 24 hours before, they probably will be much safer than the student, not student athlete, who's running around with a red solo cup in the basement of a fraternity house with 200 people thinking they're cool by ducking the cops. So they got Well, that's why you and I have always said that, you know, when college kids do stupid things and famous college kids or Heisman Trophy winners do idiotic things, still, in in general, uh, college athletes are much more well-behaved at school Mm-hmm. than people who aren't playing sports. People who aren't playing sports can drink on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, and get high on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, sleep through class, miss class, get arrested, and it, and they stay in school yeah. and keep their scholarship because uh, they might still get good grades. It doesn't happen with an athlete. Athletes have to skip parties a lot of times and put down the bong a lot of times and do a lot of other and not take any selfies with the wrong person or in the wrong place or with the wrong thing in their mouth and and so uh, this is they probably are more capable of pulling it off than than a lot of people doing a lot of other things and it's such a sacrifice for these kids i mean i know they get a free education i don't believe in paying college right. football players other than a minimum stipend you know i i've always said with you on the air you give them a thousand dollars a month if you give them five thousand a month mm-hmm. they're going to drink it and smoke it you got you, you can't give them unlimited money but now a guy like trevor lawrence can uh, make money off his name and likeness which is right. a big step College football is using this moment for a timeout. They want to form unions. Oh, they want to get together with a coalition, and now they're juniors and seniors. They're never going to play again. They're never going to get an invite to a combine. They're never going to play again, but they want to be a part of a union right now, and they want to fight for their rights. Mm -hmm. Interesting to see this topic six months, a year from now. How many players stood up and built that union? Or how many players just looked around and said, shut the hell up. Let's go play. Let's go party. I got to get a job. I got to find a job after this. And they're going to forget about this little union that they want. Which reminds me, our most important holiday in America is coming up, Labor Day. That's why we don't have eight-year-olds working in factories anymore. Thanks to Labor Day, and I'm a big fan of of the unions, and I belong to one or two, and I do think that 
we still have to we still have to have the conversation. We have to make we know in a lot of ways over the years we've been morally blind about uh, college athletes. You want to pay them very little, but you do very want little. to pay them. I I love how you phrase it. It's like you're running for fucking office. <laughs> you always say, "I don't want to pay them." Pause. Well, <laughs> just a stipend of. One or two thousand dollars. So you do want to pay them, but you always begin the sentence that you don't want to pay them because it's not. Why? What are you running for? Because they're never going to play again. That's why. That's the theme of my argument. It's very, I I believe it's very common sense based. Is that 96%, not 50%, 30, 96% of these kids playing college football are not going to play in the pros. It's a a small, small percentage. So I don't want to pay everybody else in college because they're not going to make a living doing this. It doesn't, doesn't, look, 96% of actors who are making movies are never going to be movie stars, but it doesn't mean we don't pay them because they're never going to be a star well i've evolved on that issue because college football in our lifetime and way before us Uh used to be about a little bit of money and then the television contract was worth hundreds of thousands then it became worth millions and then hundreds of millions once it got to be once it got worth billions plural i said look you got to pay them but my theory again is they only play a short period of time half the year I don't think they deserve hundreds of thousands of dollars. So if you're going to pay them, you're only going to pay them a little bit of money for their services for being on TV. That's yeah. it. Well, here I always thought the way I always thought the simple way to take care of it was they should be in a union. It's called the American Federation of Radio and Television Artists, Artists Screen Actors Guild. After SAG, same one I belong to, because when you're on a hit TV show and you're a lead role, you have a lead role or a secondary role or an extra which you have on college football teams, on top-rated television shows, how are they getting away with not having to join the union? That's the union they should belong to. And if you're a starter, you get one. It's the same thing in movies. People who people with, who have leave. Oh, roles. you want to pay the starters more? Yeah, because... Oh, what happens if the coach is a pain in the ass and he doesn't like the backup tight end who's better than the tight end and the backup oh. tight end gives the coach shit and he can't play so he doesn't get any catches? What, are we going to take money uh, out of his paycheck? Uh, yeah, it happens all the time in movies. That's how Rob Lowe got, 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 got cast over other people who could act because people, you know, the directors liked him more or he was better looking. Or, Rob Lowe can't act and he's made a brilliant career out of even making fun of himself and the fact that he can't, but uh, and that he's just good looking. But that happens all the time. It's called politics, JT. People, the, coach, the coaches or the directors choose one actor over another, even though one actor is better than the other. Better actor Jason Bateman or Rob Lowe? Oh, oh, Jason Bateman. I would have said Rob Lowe for years, and Rob Lowe is underrated. I had fun poking him. Uh, Rob Lowe just was an example I picked off the top of my head, but he has overachieved in his career. But Jason Bateman completely changed my mind with Ozark. Completely. Completely. I don't want to waste it in this podcast, this okay. version, because I'm only I'm done with season two of Breaking Bad. Oh, great, great! Yeah, so you, uh, you, I, I, I'm apologizing. I'm not going to go into it because I, I want to wait till the very end, and that'll be a few podcasts from now. But okay. I got into it. I understand why it's a Mount Rushmore show. Now that we got into season two, we can't turn it off. And I get home. <laughs> I get home at midnight every night from my late night serious show, and I got to be in bed within the hour. I can't be up till two, three in the morning. Right. I watch a Breaking Bad 
Oh, and that's great. It. It's been great, so I'm knocking it out. Do you way. have a drink when you're watching Breaking Bad? I do not. I don't drink during the week. Okay, I yeah, I was drinking. As you know, I, I don't drink during the week normally. I was drinking every night when I was watching Breaking Bad. It was terrific. I was Bailey's, usually Bailey's and coffee because I wanted the coffee to keep me up because I want to fall asleep when I'm watching it. But nobody will fall asleep while watching Breaking Bad. Well, uh, my, who's your favorite character at this juncture on Breaking Bad? Well, it's a tough call. I, I think it's uh, Walter White's brother-in-law. The, the oh, isn't he great? <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic. Oh my God! Yes, and I think one of the most lovable characters too is the son on the crutches. Dad, the son on the crutches is just so. And I don't know if it's because he's handicapped or whatever, so it, it pulls at my heartstrings more. But uh, I, I, it's it's a tough call. It's almost like saying, "What's your favorite city in Italy?" You know, it depends on whatever one you're in. What's your favorite character on Breaking Bad? It just depends on whichever one you saw yesterday. A couple of uh, cable news uh, anchors. Mm -hmm which I don't want to throw out here all the time because if you say Tucker Carlson or oh, right. if you say Lawrence O'Donnell, do you say right. anybody, then people just click and turn off your podcast. Like, right. <laughs> yes. People so are weenies. Yeah. But I I'm more fascinated than I've ever been with the urban decay of these cities and the amount of people that are leaving. Now, I don't want to go on a deep dive of mm -hmm. what is a riot, what is not a riot, what is right. leaving, what are people allowed to protest even when they're throwing objects at police officers. Right. You know where I stand on that. But, man, I've been reading a lot about people moving. There could be a million people, a million people moving out of New York City. So say they're wrong by 200,000 or it's six, 700,000. Right. That's the tax base. There's a lot of millionaires yeah. who live in New York City. They're gone. They're not coming back because now they're comfortable working from home. They're not going to have the job that they had when they go back to the city. They're not going to have that in that office space. And now they're looking to take what they have left and find another home somewhere else. And they can't do it in New York where the taxes are out of control. And the same in San Francisco. So I'm going to give you New York and San Francisco that have fascinated me this week as both cities are decaying right before us. Yeah, and here's it's not just decay. What happens is overrated. Uh, what's overrated now that we never thought of is living on top of each other, living in a big, going to work in a big, tall building when we can do it from our living room or our third bedroom or your wife's walk-in closet. Uh, and uh, just being, it was, you're being part of the fabric of the city in New York and San Francisco where you have lived in both and I've been in both a thousand times is terrific. There's a great energy, but we can't really... In Elmira, New York, population 33,000 where I grew up, there's been one COVID death so far. And why is that? Wow. Because, because if you go into Rite Aid or Walgreens or CVS, I'm picking drugstores because in America now, instead of factories, we have drugstores and they're always the biggest stores in the city. If you walk into any store in Elmira, you're the only one in there. You're not going to get COVID-19 if you're always the only one in the store. And so uh, it's just a slow city, and there's not a lot of people in it. And so you're, never, you're, in, in, you don't, you're not rubbing up against anybody. It's terrific in terms of COVID-19, and people are realizing that. Oh, my God, I can't live. If there's another virus that comes along, or, or, or just include, let's just, the show's today. Let's talk about this one. People are realizing I can't live. Maybe it's not smart anymore to live on top of everybody. And people who can afford to move out are going to move out. Yeah, let me share New York, where I'm from, and San Francisco. Those are just two cities mm -hmm. out of many. You're in Los Angeles, and I'm also fascinated 
fascinated with LA and what's uh-huh. happening there. But in New York, I didn't live in the city. So I lived in Long Island or right. when I was a stockbroker. So every time I came into New York City, it typically was the same way on a train. And you loved it. Station, yeah. Loved it because the energy would build. Oh, yeah. The train, oh, yeah. And then it would be last stop Penn Station. When it, you're a young guy, there's nothing yeah. like it. Oh. And it was always a concert or it yep. was always entertainment, but it was mostly drinking. Yeah. Okay. Because my buddies and I would be like, let's go into the it's city. It's so much fun when you're young and unsupervised in New York. Right. So I'd get <laughs> off the train in Penn Station, get on the subway, head out to McSorley's, the old Ale House, the oldest bar in New York, one of uh-huh. my favorite bars in the world, or go somewhere in Midtown or whatever, get off the subway, come up to the streets and just see skyscrapers. Uh, Downtown, I'd see the yep. World Trade Center before it went down. Or, you know, the Freedom Tower. You see something, man, you know where you are. There's the Empire State Building, the Chrysler Building. And the characters and people playing three-card Monty. And there was just so much for young guys to enjoy. And in the 70s, there was Urban Decay, yep. especially in Times Square and all that. So without a history lesson, what's happening now is you get off at Penn Station. There are people shooting up in Penn Station. You get to the Upper East Side or you get to an area, mm-hmm. a nice area, and there's gun violence. There's real gun violence mm-hmm. where there wasn't gun violence before. There's always crime, but real gun violence and graffiti and what's happening. And then you can't go to a bar because it's COVID. You can't do the things that you want to do yeah. and you don't feel as comfortable there. So what we need is for this to all go away and assume everything's going to get back to normal. And the good news is I think it probably will, Tom. It probably will get back to normal. More people will come back to the city. They'll have their jobs. The bars will open. The streets will become safer. Uh, the homelessness will move around to shelters again. And the city will get back to normal. But it's a 50-50 coin toss right now. Yeah, it feels that way, unfortunately. And, you know, you have to think about vaccines or pills or something. I'm guessing that you know a vaccine's a tougher thing. We do have one that completely eradicated polio and pretty much completely eradicated smallpox. But the vaccine is really only a shot since 1918. They've been looking for a flu shot, uh, a flu vaccine. They call it a vaccine, but it only helps with some strains, and you can still get the flu. So they haven't. They really that they've been working on that now 102 years. Uh, with the AIDS vaccine, they've got pills now where you can still live till 90 and have it. So it's not what it used to be. It's chronic, but there's no vaccine. They've been working on that 20 years. So my guess is they will probably get a medicine that's similar or a vaccine that's similar to the flu shot where we can still get it, but it won't be as bad or some medicine that will just uh, just reduce it will keep keep it from killing us and that's the best we can hope for well the political wackos that are out there there's going to be one or two storylines if there is a vaccine which i think we're close it's almost going to be like a character like rocky balboa it's going to be an actual thing we're going to look at it we're going to see commercials this is before the election wink wink and it's Uh a hero a hero is going to show up at the (laughs) and on the other side people believe if it does become it'll be hidden it'll be suppressed oh that's true yes you're right that's what we're dealing with Democrats no. don't want a vaccine. You're right. There'll be that crowd. You're right. <laughs> and uh, if, if it really is a vaccine that really works, uh, the liberals will be saying it's a, it's a hoax, right? <laughs> And that's what we have to look forward to in the next few months. You go, my God, you're right. <laughs> we now We now transition to something else that is just fascinating to me just uh-huh. recently. Guns. Uh-huh. Here's my thing on guns. 
I married into a family that it's outdoors family hunts mm -hmm. and I won't get into the personal lives of my in-laws, great right. human beings. So they come from that side of the world where right. hunting and guns are fantastic. And I support that hundred percent. I also support the second amendment. Mm -hmm. I believe that people have the right to bear arms. And if you get your gun registered, you can have as many as you need. Mm -hmm. I do not support any type of assault rifle. Anything that mm -hmm. can do that type of damage don't need it. given yep. to society other than the military on the grounds in a war, I am vehemently against it. So that makes me some type of guy that you can poke holes at. I've never talked to more of my friends I mean, good friends who never talk politics with me, never mention guns. They now have guns and they have multiple guns. And they're explaining to me why they have guns and why they need guns and why they're concerned to having guns and where they have them in their house and what they want to do with it. Man, oh man, I can tell you firsthand, this country now is going wild. The ammunition is running out. People are crossing state lines to get more ammunition. And Tom, more and more Americans are buying guns. Yeah, and it's been the story all of our lives. You know, if a Democrat gets elected, people think their guns are being taken away. And there's always these gun stories every time, you know, when Clinton got elected and Obama got elected, there was this, they're going to take our guns away. And there was this run on guns. And now because of COVID or some uh, uh, people who don't look like me in the streets, people are running out and getting guns. And I think it's false hysteria. I don't think we need them. Uh, I, you know, I always have had the philosophy that whether it was gay marriage, abortion or anything, people, whatever makes us uncomfortable shouldn't be necessarily against the law. Guns make me uncomfortable. Does that mean they should be against the law? Well, the Second Amendment is on the side of the gun people. You'd have to change. We would have to change the Second Amendment. Would I like us to change the Second Amendment? I would love us to change the Second Amendment because as I've always told you, if everyone over the age of 15 in America Every man, woman, and trans over the age of 15 in America smokes cigarettes, but not one of us owned a gun. We'd be a much nicer country. But that's Tom Looney's fantasy life. But we wouldn't smell as good. So uh, I don't own one. I don't want to own one. And uh, I wish they were against the law. They're not. Everything I'm against doesn't necessarily have to be against the law. And so that's the way I live my life. See, I support everyone's right to have a gun in their home to protect their family. And mm -hmm. I think in the history of this country, dating back to the revolution, to the Civil War, to any time in this country, you, you have the right, the right to, to bear. I always remind you, the right to bear arms. When they passed that amendment. I know that. We, we, what was it, mullets? What were they called? Muskets. Uh, muskets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you, you had to wear a heavy coat if you didn't want to die. Well, yeah. you have to rip the gunpowder and put it in the musket yes. and yes. fire the ball. Yes. I get yes. that. And that's right. why, you know, I want the AKs and the assault rifles gone right. yes. and all their tricks that uh, these people like. So that being said, I believe in everybody. Especially right. living in Vegas. Yeah, I believe everybody's right to have a gun to protect their family okay. because there's been countless times, millions of times in this country's history where intruders have come into people's home and mm -hmm. the people had to protect themselves mm -hmm. from dying and they needed it. Right. I'm just fascinated how many people now think they need guns because of politics and this election. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, people are telling me it's 90 days out, it's 80 days out. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Well, it's going to happen. What's going to happen? Well, they could be coming in. They could be coming to us. 
if he wins, uh, the left's going to go crazy. If the left wins, all of his people are going to go crazy. So I'm telling people, do you actually believe there's going to be three or four buses that come all the way from a town and come to your house and park in your cul-de-sac and come into your house because of the election? And maybe, maybe you're going to need your gun and people are looking me in the eye going, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a, and the, this, I know, and this happens. As somebody who was a political science major, this happens every four years. And before I was a political science major, I grew up in a house that followed politics. Every four years, they say, this is the most important election of our lives. And a lot of sky is falling stuff. No, it's just another election. Nobody's coming. The boogeyman's not coming. And as I remember, I would always point, I remember how fascinated I was when we were on the air over the years at crime statistics. They kept going down, 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 down. They've ticked up a little. And you can find pockets, Chicago, Baltimore. You take those out, and the crime rates are lower than they've ever been in this country in the history of statistics. And but you, but what we have also now with 24-hour news is that's not a story. You can't go live to nothing. So you go live to the crime. You go live to the accident. You go live to the drive-by. And there is, and you're right, that's important. We need to change that attitude and the feelings that your friends have because it doesn't fit with the statistics or the reality whatsoever. One of our mutual friends, I name dropped a lot, which worked on the last podcast. It was a lot of name dropping. <laughs> right. uh, one of my golf buddies was telling me a story because he's tied in with the police here in Vegas that in the neighborhood where I live, in the area that I live in Las Vegas, there's a neighborhood called the Ridges and it's got guard gate after guard gate with real mm -hmm. guards. And then this guy's got a house on the hill that you see in Architectural Digest. It's right. probably, a, probably a $30 million house, let's say 20. And on the night of the riots in Vegas, one of the nights where it got pretty heated, way downtown off of Fremont Street and mm -hmm. all that, this rich dude hired a security force to spend the night at his house because he believed there was a chance that people were going to hop the walls of this golf course gated community and go all the way up. I mean, you couldn't do enough cardio in your lifetime with your hiking <laughs> right. to this house. Right. Get to this guy's house. So he, he hired private security to protect him for one night, an armed guard. And I said, this is what I'm talking about. No one's coming to your gated community through the guard gate in your private neighborhood just to come to your home. And I'm hearing a lot of that. I think a lot of people who I respect are wound up. There's a lot of anxiety now. I wanted to get it into the podcast. And I'd love people people's reaction to this. Yeah. And quote on, on Twitter and say, hey, you know, I'm doing this or I'm not or I agree or disagree on this topic. Yeah. And I just think that we also have had no shortage of non-white friends, co-workers throughout the years that for a long time, their experiences with a lot of what people are talking about right now have been completely different than ours. And their experience with police are different than ours. And they're trying to raise our awareness to it. And that's about it. And, uh, and for a long time, we didn't listen to it. So they've turned up the volume. But I think that's about it. And another thing, if I could pat myself on the back, what did I say four years ago when Colin Kaepernick was wearing the pig socks and talking about police violence on non-whites? I said, none of this will count. Until white, you know, until Tom Brady says something, until people who, until white people say something, and now 
white people are. So we also have to throw that into the mix. White people aren't coming over your fence to take away uh, your suburban stuff. They just want uh, to help the non-whites and people who don't look like us to try to get some more fair treatment because they haven't been listened to in a long time. People want statues. Losers don't usually get to keep stuff like flags or they usually don't even get statues. So I think that some of they're finally saying, hey, can we get rid of some of this stuff? It's insulting. We've been ignoring them for a couple hundred years, and now they finally want us to listen, and I think we should. As we record this podcast on August 13th, it's a Thursday night. The NBA bubble is wrapping up. Yes. And it's been really exciting because the Western Conference invited a bunch of teams to compete for the nine seed, the eight seed. It's one to eight for the playoffs. Lakers are number one. Milwaukee in the East is number one. But in the West... Uh, Memphis had the eight seed, but everybody thought Zion deserved to fight for the eight seed. And all he had to do was get the nine seed and the eight would have to play the nine in a play in little three best of three. So Greg Popovich was invited. The Phoenix Suns were invited with Devin Booker Mm -hmm. and won every game as we speak. So there's still a little math left, but Devin Booker was the best player in the bubble. Phoenix went eight and no. They might not get in depending on Portland, and we'll all know this by the time this posts. But the point is, your Lakers are the one seed. And if Portland gets the eight seed, the way this Damian Lillard's playing like a possessed madman. Unbelievable. The way Carmelo Anthony is fitting in shape, they got two or three bigs that can run. I tell you, my friend, the Lakers, who I picked to win it all, your team, they're going to have their sleeves rolled up in round one. They got they got their work cut out for them if it's, if it's Portland. The Lakers will be fine as soon as they get back to Staples Center, JT. They will be just fine. Unfortunately, right now, though, they're not. So this is fascinating to watch in the NBA, this experiment of everybody playing on neutral territory. This is fascinating because are, are things that is home is home court advantage that much? Yes, I believe it is. In the yeah, I guess we're finding that out. You gotta. I guess we are finding that out. And that L.A. home court advantage was always so much because guys didn't like to stay in their hotel rooms when they come to Hollywood. So I do think. The sky is falling right now with the Los Angeles Lakers. But once the postseason gets here, we've watched LeBron James over the years. And it's a whole different uh, it, it, the whole different vibe once you get to the playoffs and their egos and their talent. And so I'm hoping the Lakers will play a lot better. But it sucks when you just have to worry about hope rather than having any proof that they've played well since they've come into the bubble. LeBron's going to have to worry for him and Anthony Davis at what happened to Lamar Jackson with the Ravens unhappened yeah. to them because Lamar yeah. Jackson had a home bye week. Okay, yeah. He had the week off and didn't, then had a home game and he got beat. So yep. he never won one playoff game. The Lakers are going to win playoff games, but the Lakers are the classic example of a great team, very good team, maybe not great, but very good, that knew when they got in the bubble they were in the playoffs. They were going to be the one seed. They would have to lose Almost all their games and the Clippers have to run the table, which wasn't going to happen, for the one and two seed to flip-flop. So the Lakers had nothing to play for other than chemistry. Let's get comfortable with our jump shots. These are new sight lines in Staples Center. And I don't think they played very well. Kuzma had a walk-off three, which was great. That was beautiful. Had a couple of big games. But when you don't have Rondo and Avery Bradley Avery Bradley. 
this is going to be really dicey for them. I think if they play Portland and they have to play Portland, Portland's going to get their attention so quickly that it'll elevate the Lakers game and they'll play focus like every game's a game seven. If the Lakers play a lesser team than that, Memphis, as we talked about, then the next thing you know, I don't think the Lakers will have to ramp up until the next round. And I think they'll still be fine until they get to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I think when you're the Portland Trailblazer fans and you have to say, wow, I hope Carmelo Anthony really steps up, then you're in a little, you're, you're in a little bit of trouble. He has looked good. Uh, and he's a great basketball player, but he is not on the sunny side of the mountain. The LeBron, LeBron's in a no-lose situation, which is good for him because he's always in a situation his whole career where if he loses, he gets destroyed. Right. And if he wins, I believe he gets extra attention because he's one of the biggest celebrities in the world. Here's what's good for LeBron. If LeBron doesn't win in this bubble, you can't hold it against him. Right. It's COVID-19. Oh, right. Bubble. You cannot hold it against him. If he wins it, then you can put this win up against anything. It'll be bigger than anything Michael Jordan ever did, anything bigger than Magic. Those are two big guys, Jordan and Magic. <laughs> right. Jordan and Magic didn't have to play in a pandemic. If they did, I'm sure they would have played great, but they didn't. LeBron's right. going to be the face of winning a championship under mental issues, wellness issues, doing it in a bubble. So if he wins, it's going to be magnified. If he loses, it's not going to define his legacy. Well, that's really convenient for him, I suppose. It it's is. Really, it, it, because it, it, you're absolutely right. When you're, when you're damned if you do and damned if you don't most of your career, it's nice that right now he's kind of in the opposite situation, that good for him if he does, and if he doesn't, he's got a built-in excuse. And it's always nice if that happens in life because that doesn't always come along. And there's another guy in the same boat, Giannis Antetokounmpo. We're one of yes. the few guys who can say that. Yes. And Giannis we started talking about him earlier in his career because we could say it. And for Giannis, same boat. Uh, people are going to wonder, is he going to stay in Milwaukee? Of course he's not going to stay in Milwaukee. Of course. <laughs> the guy's from Greece. I love Milwaukee. He's not going to stay in Milwaukee his entire career. So the pressure is on him to win now. If he wins now, it's a magnified, great win for a young, iconic career. And if he doesn't, no one's going to rip him for losing in the bubble. The guy who's got the most upside, and I talked about this with a guest, is clearly Kawhi. Because it would yeah. be Kawhi's third ring with three different teams. Yeah. And the credit for doing it in a bubble would elevate that. So I think Kawhi, with the ring with San Antonio and Pop, a ring with Toronto delivering a country a title, in the sport, and then taking the worst franchise maybe in sports history, the laughingstock yep. of L.A. and bringing him a ring, you'd have to put Kawhi maybe maybe in the same boat as LeBron, right there behind Kobe or even with Kobe, and you'd put him in the conversation with Michael Jordan. He'll never be in it, and it's something that's probably not within his control, and that is his personality. He's vanilla. He is so vanilla. We could say we had Kawhi Leonard on the podcast and just bring any random guy in off the street, and people wouldn't know. People don't really know his voice the way you'd know LeBron's voice or Michael Jordan's voice or Gilbert Gottfried or anybody else. People don't know what Kawhi Leonard sounds like. Quick moment on the economy. 
uh, announcement to make for the first time in my life, my adult life. Okay, let me say this. A sportscaster has an announcement to make about the economy. Ears yes. up, everybody. Ears up, please. First time <laughs> since I've had an IRA. IRA uh -huh. is a way to put money into account tax-free until yes, you okay. take it out. And if right. you take it out after a certain time, you don't get taxed on it. It's probably the best way you can invest and compound money over years. It's the first time I ever called my advisor and said, I'm out. And he said, what? I go, I'm out. He goes, well, what do you mean? I go, well, I have 30% of my portfolio in cash, the money market fund, which mm -hmm. is gaining 0%. And I said, move it to 80%, weight it that way. And this is just in one account I had that did very well because the stock market in the pandemic went through the roof. Right. Uh -huh. Stocks went well, don't, won't talk about them individually. So I said to my wife and my dad, I said, I'm not going to get greedy. And I'm going to sit this one out because I believe this election is going to be so chaotic for the economy that I did well for the year, made a nice profit. I'm going to wish the next guy good, you know, good luck in the term. Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. It's here. And if I miss out on another 10% upside in a bull market, I'm comfortable. I'm not greedy, but I'm recommending to everyone on this podcast, move some of your money into cash positions or get it out of the market because I hear a rumbling and the rumbling's coming. Okay, and I have a prediction for everybody, and that is that the no one predicted chaotic elections before we had chaotic elections. No one said that 2000 was going to be like that and we wouldn't know. I traveled out of the country to my brother's wedding in Indonesia weeks after the election and we still didn't have a president. And he remembers how embarrassing that was for him because it took Indonesia a couple of weeks uh, to figure out, just, just a few months before that, to figure out that election. And my brother was boasting, in America, we know on the same night. <laughs> boasting to his Indonesian friends how we do it right. And that it would take us, it took us weeks and months to figure out that election. But usually they're wrong about. Uh, they're really the polls. A lot of times, even in 2016, were right. They were within the margin of error. But I, they're usually. Remember how many times we got together because we are on the air during elections? And okay, now if it's really close, we'd have these major meetings before elections, and then they'd be over by eight o'clock. <laughs> and, and, and so that that could happen again, and it won't be chaotic, and we might switch presidents, and if we do. We'll just switch presidents, and it, we, you and I, have, we, you and I, have always had the philosophy: the president doesn't affect our life that much. You know, I just think the markets could be very volatile because they've been so good. It's a miracle. It's really miraculous. Mm -hmm. During a pandemic, for whatever reason, people are out of work, unemployment sky high, the government printing money and borrowing money by the minute, which I'm not a believer right. in. But you got to keep businesses and people afloat, and the market. Is, is high and the NASDAQ's up and the Dow is up. So I just wouldn't be surprised if the market got more volatile than people imagine, because it always does in October. The October surprise is always going to be. Now, I worked in October of 1987. I started in the business when the market had their biggest crash. So I know October can get ugly. Uh -huh. But with November around the corner, I'm just, I just wanted to throw that out because I hope I'm right that you know, I was smart to get a, get a little bit more liquid, but I wanted to give that advice to some of our friends and our listeners here because 
No, it's something I did, and I usually don't share what I do all the time. Right. And another thing with just even being a political science major, don't let them frighten you that this is the most important election of our time. I don't let them fool you, people, into that these are the lesser of two evils. No, they're, they're our fellow Americans. They're not evil. If they are, we are. Or that there's some kind of extremist. Oh, as you know, we were texting about that the other day about Joe and Kim. most district attorneys are so conservative. The only reason Pam, Kamala Harris isn't a Republican is because she was in San Francisco. District attorneys are so conservative. And, and Joe Biden is such a vanilla middle of the road politician. You can't fool me into thinking that there's some kind of extremist. And and people, these are not the lesser of two evils. They're, they're just uh, two guys that are from our country and from our culture. And our lives won't be that much different. Couldn't disagree with you more. This mm -hmm. election's going to be batshit crazy. They're going to write 50 bucks on it a year later. It's going to be nuts on cable news, evening news, morning news. I think it's going to live up to the hype like a heavyweight well, fight. Well, it'll, it'll will it get hype? Yes, because... It's a heavyweight fight. We have, we have an amazing character. I use the word amazing in terms of uh, not as an endorsement, but we have an amazing character and a president that is an obstructionist. And and so that brings a lot of headlines, a lot of outrageous headlines. But still, you know, the uh, the union will survive and will be okay. And I'm not, the, I'm not doubting that. I know the geez. union will be here at the White House and the Capitol will not burn. Right. Of <laughs> the moon. I get all that. And I'm people are how many how many times can people be fooled? You know, Hillary was dying and she was going to be dead in six months. And Obama was an illegal immigrant. We find out all those things are bullshit. And sooner or later, we have to say, you know what happens is people don't like to admit they've been fooled. You know, liberals have been fooled over the years. Conservatives have been fooled over the years by bullshit. We've been fed by politicians. And we just move on. We don't talk about it. We just move on because we don't like to sit around and talk about all the times we've been fooled. Well, I've been explaining to you how I'm concerned about all the guns being bought. Yeah. And I'm telling you about the fact that I'm getting conservative in my investments. Mm -hmm. And I'm just telling you that rationally and how I think that it's going to live up to the hype. I think there's going to be, I'm not saying violence and chaos and voting machines breaking and all that. I just believe that this election and... The Obama victory the first time around was uh, not chaotic, and uh, we went through the hanging chads and well, right. what happened there with yep. Bush Gore and all this. This one is going to make all of those other ones look like nursery school. The amount of hate and vitriol, the amount of political ads. I mean, I live in Nevada. I live in an important state for that. My phone now has started ringing. I've been doing a lot of Zoom meetings and podcasts. Oh, yeah, you're unfortunately in a still lot of oh. yeah, you're, you're in a battlegrounds day. Yes. I, I'm one of the few Americans left that has a landline. So I have to disconnect oh, wow. my landline wow. and turn off my Bluetooth because the phone's ringing every second. And all it is is political ads, and we just did that for, with the primary. I'm just sick of it. I just want to unplug, man. We've been talking yeah. about this on the podcast. I want to unplug. Yeah, and because we did have a, a brilliant – Trump was brilliant at branding, and so he was and injecting himself into everything from Colin Kaepernick to everything. And before that, you know, uh, spreading rumors that he was going to date Princess Diana. It was a brilliant, structured career. We didn't know he was going to go into politics. But he was able to find his way into our birthday parties and our Thanksgiving conversations and sports talk radio more than any politician in our lifetime. And I do think people want to dial back politics 
after November, no matter what. And hopefully everyone does dial it down. And politics has become, over the years, a lot more like Morton Downey Jr. show. (laughs) And a lot less like William F. Buckley sitting smoking a cigarette talking about politics. How beautiful is Los Angeles tonight? Because we've been averaging about 105, 104. And 104 feels like 90 here out here. There's no humidity. There's no bugs. But, you know, just to see some of the uh, night vision views of Los Angeles with with freeways wide open and the sun setting on the ocean and on these skyscrapers and the and the city healing, the smog going away almost completely. What right. is it like from your perch from the Looney Mansion in Hollywood? Um, it has been beautiful because of right because it's a little quieter. Uh, if you want to get somewhere in traffic, you turn on the Waze app and everything's 12 minutes or 14 minutes. And it's incredible how much, you know, the, the I think that's one of those things when you talk about people moving out of cities. It's not just because of the chaos. It's because it's probably healthier because of COVID to live in Lukenbach, Texas, than it is to live in Manhattan, Los Angeles, or any major city. But also, we have been learning in L.A. how much... You know, our economy is going to change, as you know, because people aren't going to want to go back to a, you know, the, the 32nd floor of a building. And that's uh, and, and so to answer your question, L.A. has been beautiful lately. And but it's ever changing because it's interesting moving forward as will a high rise building be necessary anymore? Uh, or will we need as many of them? Things there's going to be interesting changes between technology and COVID. It's incredible. You, you know, it could be a year from now. I hope it's not. I hope it's six months. I hope it's three months. But do you envision a day where people get off of trains and get out of Ubers and cabs with briefcases, get in a crowded elevator, go up to the 32nd floor, the door opens up, they go to their desk in their cube and their cube which is next to another one and they start typing away and then they go get a coffee and they're in a coffee break room and their boss is behind glass and the boss is evaluating them those days could be over Over. people want to work from home and i don't believe that the economy globally or anywhere can thrive when people work from home us radio guys can we got headsets microphones Mm -hmm. we can do it in our underwear and have a glass of wine but you can't do that if you're an accountant or you're an analyst and you got it well yeah i'm I'm reliable i'll do it every day i only break when it's lunchtime give me a break i don't know how you get that going again tom i don't i would like to stick up for your father who was able to sit there in his underwear drinking wine listening to barbara streisand and do his accounting all at the same time didn't he late at night in your home doing yeah, everyone's he, taxes he was wearing pants and he was <laughs> listening to camelot or that but he was wearing pants he's he was my father with my father and uh, my i'm hope you know my father listens right. my father taught me work ethic because what oh, yeah. my dad taught me as I was the only son and two sisters is I watched my dad come home from work and I never understood how hard the commute was for him from Massapequa on the Long Island Railroad <laughs> to Penn Station. We don't always know yeah, who the people in our lives, the sacrifice they make. Yeah, and forget about Penn Station. Penn Station, then the subway down to Chambers Street. So you were talking at least almost 90 minutes or an hour and 15 minutes one way. And then one way coming home after a long day of work to get home and be a dad. And my mom, a brilliant mom, uh, taking care of us the entire time, having the home ready for my dad to walk in to run out with the Little League bag and coach Little League where everybody knew him. But then my dad came home and did tax returns 
in tax season and you heard that tax, you heard that calculator. The adding machine? Was it the, an the old fashioned adding machine? Well, my well, grandfather had that. Well past midnight where he had to get up again and you want to talk about a commute. Imagine going to bed. I go to bed after doing a radio show and I'm like <laughs> bitching about how many phone calls I had the last segment. <laughs> how many people are on hold, man? It's 1140. <laughs> God damn it. How many people are on hold? And then I walk into the bedroom and my wife's looking at me like, mellow out, leave the room. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I wish we had two more people on hold. Well, my dad would go to bed after working all day and doing taxes. He'd go to bed. Imagine what it was like to close your eyes and envision, I got to get up, shower, put a suit on, a suit to manage a lot of people and then start my day driving to a train station, wait for the train and then get on it on a journey for hours there and back. I mean, we talk about the greatest generation. You talk about different eras. We often do that. Man, I hope my kids get that from me and how many jobs I'm currently working and how I love to work. But I got it from my dad and mom, and especially my dad who loved to grind and didn't complain about it. I complain a lot more than him. I want to mention that he was a coach because you think of your coaches when you're a kid. You don't realize that... You know, my favorite coach I ever had was a guy named Jay Palmer. Coach Palmer, I talked about the legendary Coach Palmer. We ran the, we ran the Wildcat formation to three championships because nobody knew. You know, could be, we were way ahead of our time, and so was he. And he was a New York State trooper. Remember the state troopers oh, in New York? Dangerous job, dangerous yeah. job. Right, and he would, and then he was done with being with state troopering, and then changing his uniform and coming to football practice. And we practiced sometimes six days a week back then. There were no, you know, there, nobody was complaining and telling the kids not to practice too much back then. And you, you don't stop and think about the coaches, etc., when your kids, including your dad, who have stuff, things like jobs and families and relationships it's uh, yeah. amazing. amazing one last thing on this topic do you believe that people now when they get their jobs back or go to work because we're both fascinated that our next jobs especially people in the real world who have jobs and buildings and mm -hmm. unique jobs that go to work that if they're there if they reasonably look like the old job that they had are they going to complain less or are they going to be happy that they can get that in their life. I'm concerned about that because I think people, even though they're having it very hard with the economy and their jobs and their paychecks, their life is a lot easier from home. You would agree? Yeah. The Those majority of, of them. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, your life's easier when you don't have to go 40 minutes in. I haven't filled up. I filled work. up my tank. I used to do it twice a week. Now it's twice since March. So what's going to be the ramifications when COVID's gone, everybody goes back to work to their jobs. Are people going to bitch more about traffic and, oh my God, the elevator and how long they worked? Or are they going to be fortunate and happy that they got their job back? It's never good when you're getting an attitude from management or your own attitude is, I'm just happy that I have a job. That's not a good life. Yeah. So uh, that, that, that I worry about when people have to go back to something. And... I think a lot of adjustments are going to be made by, you know what bean counters these corporations are. They're going to say, okay, we're going to trust more people at home working. Don't you think that that's going to happen? I think that that's going to happen. I think it's going to be done out of necessity, and a lot of companies are going to be in trouble, and real estate and commercial real estate are going to be a disaster. People are going to work from home, and I hope they're happy from home. I, thought, I think for people to be able to find that life and that comfort zone working from home is something that i'm not very good at and no I because you're per you're you would walk into fox sports radio on the weekends just to say hi to the weekend people 
You know, and, and, and the same way, we're, we're people people. I loved going to work and seeing the guys uh, over the years. And so, yeah, I, I am saying that I... But I, I love going into the radio station. So, and I also love coming into, <laughs> rolling out of bed since I'm on at uh, six in the morning and coming into the office in the house. But uh, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of readjusting to do, and it's going to be chaotic for a while. I want to dedicate this podcast to my oldest son who's leaving Saturday to go back to college. Wow. And I'm pointing out everyone in the same boat as him. The kids going back to high school, middle school, uh, my buddy's son going to kindergarten for the first time. But my son's going back to Norman, Oklahoma to resume his sophomore year of college. His freshman year was cut short, short by half. And I'm just hoping that he, he's healthy. He is vibrant he has a great time he has fun he's going to right. be great in school i want him to have his life back again and i hope everybody on all these campuses can stay healthy and safe and get through the entire fall semester he's a frat guy i want you for the first week he's at school to be there at the frat house with him inspecting making sure everybody is following protocol and i want you to watch every move he makes in the entire fraternity for the first week will you promise me that too busy working. <laughs> did your, your dad never did that at your fraternity house? I think I, no. I think they came one time the last day of school, and my mom stood oh. on the stood on the outside steps of the fraternity <laughs> house, didn't come in, and looked at it and couldn't believe it. It was Animal House on steroids. We couldn't, <laughs> we couldn't even clean it the last day. We had one of the biggest parties the DKs ever had at Geneseo the night before I graduated, at least. And there were three, four hundred people, like a scene in a movie, kegs coming what? out of windows and all that. And the next day, how many of us graduated? Our parents were in town, staying at hotels and they had to come by and see the fraternity house and we didn't even attempt to clean it <laughs> pick up the cops garbage cans kicked all over but hey that's what college is all about right having fun oh my god yes and uh, the best four years of my life i enjoyed this podcast tom i did too thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.